Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 147, Writing for Video Games, an interview with Alice Rendell, coming to you on Thursday, June 13th, 2019. Since this is a writing podcast, I am just going to tell you right now, this is my fourth or fifth intro to this episode. Why is that? Because sometimes you do something... You, whether it's writing or speaking, see, I'm about ready to just go, I'm doing this a sixth time. For some reason, your brain just not working right. You are saying the words that you are not meaning, and you are thinking of words that you are not saying. You are typing words that you're like, that's not what it sounded like in my head. It was really, really good in my head. But this is what we do. We keep going. We keep editing. We keep revising. We keep starting over. So we are not going to keep the first draft of anything and publish it. We are going to rewrite it. And when we are speaking, sometimes we just have to redo it again. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. I've been doing this for a year and a half, and I still have moments when I stumble over my words every single time for, you know, five or six times in a row. This is the same thing that happens in every part of life. It's just that we don't always notice it. For one thing, mostly people aren't really looking at us when we're making these silly little mistakes. When you're at your computer, nobody knows whether or not this is your first draft or your 17th draft. So for one thing, if it is your 17th draft, do not be embarrassed. The reason why you're rewriting it is because you're trying to make it better. Now, that being said, occasionally put your other hat on the one that's a reader hat, and ask yourself, am I making it better or am I just constantly making it different? Because they're not the same thing. So I want to encourage you, whatever kind of writing and editing that you're doing, however you're doing it, there's probably a really good chance it's fine. Don't worry. And at the same time, you do want to make it the best you can be. So don't stop too soon. Don't keep on going forever. That's my encouragement for you this morning. I hope it is helpful. I suspect there's one or more of you out there who are like, yep, I really needed to hear that today. It's not easy to find the space in the middle, the space where it's like, this is the amount of good that I wanted it to be. This is the amount of excellent that I wanted it to be. And to fiddle it with it more would just actually take away some of what makes it great. And then, you know, the part where you're like, it sounds really good. It's good enough. But is it really? <laughs> is it really? Okay, I hope that you find a good middle space for that. In the meantime, we're going to talk about something a little bit different today. I'm usually interviewing novelists and talking about writing fiction. I try to interview uh, nonfiction writers as well whenever I can uh, find one who is willing and able to meet me across the internet here in Sweden. Um, and for the most part, I've stuck with that a lot. We've had some screenwriters on, uh, and today we are going to talk about writing for video games. Very exciting. Now, this may not be anything that you had ever really thought about, thought about doing for yourself, or you know that someone you know might be interested in doing it. And that is why I'm saying, uh, think for a moment of who you've been talking to who is like, oh yeah, my son or daughter is interested in, you know, figuring out how, what kind of jobs there are in the video game industry. This would be a great episode for them to listen to because Alice is young, talented, and knows her stuff. She's been named to lists, 
you know, where they're saying the top people in our field are. And she's also just really smart, really nice, and very encouraging. So I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. If video games are not really something that you're ever going to work on, no problem, because I am a firm believer that no matter who you're talking to, there is something that you can learn that will help you in your writing. Sometimes I'm talking to somebody who's like an economist or something, and I'm still like, oh, I just had an idea for something. So you just don't know who is going to inspire you with some interesting new idea. But if they're a writer, I think there's a much better chance that you are going to be inspired, encouraged, and motivated. And Alice is wonderful at those things. So I know that you're going to enjoy the show with her. Remember that we are now in the summer schedule, so instead of doing a weekly episode, we'll be doing every other Thursday. We'll still be doing the monthly Encouraging Words episodes, but the interviews will be every other week for the rest of the summer. I hope that you have a great time listening to this episode and that you feel totally motivated and encouraged, and that maybe you start paying a little bit more attention to video games after you're done listening to Alice. Here she is. Today's guest is Alice Rendell. Alice is a senior narrative designer for video games, originally from the UK, now working in Sweden. She has been in the games industry for almost a decade and worked on a variety of narrative-driven games, including The Descendant, The Monster in Me, and Zodiac Orkanon Odyssey. (laughs) I've been trying to get that one right. In 2014, she was named one of Develop Online's 30 Under 30 Developers in Video Games, and in 2015, MCV's Top 100 Women in Games. Welcome, Alice. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. I just thought, how fun. You have such a cool job. I've never known anybody who has your job before, and I thought probably my listeners have really never maybe never heard of anybody who even had a job like yours. So I thought I'll just kind of explain how we met and then ask you to start at the beginning because even I don't know the beginning. (laughs) Yeah, no, that would be cool. Cool. All right. So a a mutual friend of ours invited a bunch of people that she knew were doing writing outside of work uh, to be in a writer's group. And so you and I started getting to know each other because we were in this fun critique group slash brainstorming group slash getting together for coffee group. (laughs) Uh, So I know that side of what you do. And in general, I have a very vague idea of what you do as a narrative designer, but let's just go back. Let's go back to the beginning of um, wherever you feel like your writing story begins. For me, I was probably seven or eight. That's where I start my story. But wherever it is that your story starts, tell us who you are, what kind of writing you did, how how you got involved in general. Okay. Well, I, I sort of, I came from a really odd story into narrative design and game writing, actually. Um, I started as a game designer. Um, I actually studied uh, computer game design at university. That was my bachelor's degree. Uh, that's what I what I studied um, because, I mean, I grew up playing video games. Like from the age of four, I was obsessively playing Mario and Zelda and and all those other games. I just loved them. Um, and then I don't know when I was a teenager, I just sort of sat down and was like, no, I, I want to make worlds and stories like this in games. Um, but the, like the term narrative designer, which is what I am, uh, wasn't really a thing back then. Um, it, it's kind of a new job in the game industry. 
Yeah. Uh, so I decided to do game design uh, because that was the closest thing to what I wanted to do. Um, and then that kind of just progressed into game writing and narrative design throughout my career. Wow. So, so game design, that would mean that you're a pretty good computer techie person? Uh, no, it's, no? it's a lie. <laughs> oh. Um, actually, uh, I mean, I'm, I have competencies in that, but I, I mean, I'm not a programmer. That's the great thing about games is that you have such a big team who can do all the bits that you're not good at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, uh, I, uh, for me, it's very much about, uh, coming up with the idea for gameplay. Um, and communicating that to the team in in a clear way so that those smart programmers can go make it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I hate to put you too much on the spot, but my guess is, is that I've got at least a few listeners who are like I was six months ago. Six months ago, I thought video games were for boys and men who hadn't grown out of being boys because the only games I'd seen people play were games that I would never play. You know, first person shooters, that's what my husband likes. Um, But in the last four months working for a video game company, I am finding all these games that I'm like, oh, that's considered a video game. I thought that was just a quote computer game, you know, or, or it was, you know, not a real game because it didn't have guns and bombs and wars. Yeah. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about, um, like what's your, I hate to say definition, but when you say video games, what are you thinking of? Tell us some of the things that you like about them and why it is that you ended up in game design, then I'm going to ask you, so how does a writer write that then? Um, Well, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people have the same sort of opinion or or see this, this small tip of the iceberg of video games. Like there's, there's a certain type of games that get a lot of press. And I think it is the ones that you mentioned, like the shooter games, um, the the big budget, expensive video games. Um, but I actually started in, in what we call indie. Um, so the more independent, smaller teams, smaller budgets, and that can be anything. Um, like I've, I've worked on, on games about mental health or I've, I've played games about um, the environment and, and trying to change people's perception of um, society. Like games can be a lot of different things. Um, wow. And what I love about them is that they promote empathy because you're not just passively watching something. You're not just reading uh, someone else's point of view or watching someone else's point of view on a, on a big screen or a TV. You're, you're kind of, you're playing it, you're experiencing it. Yeah. Um, so for me, games are so much more than, than you see with the big shooty, um, which, which can be great games as well. But it's, right, right. It's not the whole industry. Yeah, yeah. Like um, a wonderful video game company that put out a really cool game had a really cool party that was like walking into the game. And I was just like, holy cow, this is so amazing. Like I played the game and now I'm walking into the game. And it really makes you feel like, um, like this is a world that I can understand. You know, we have so many books and movies and TV shows and whatever about some sort of um, post-apocalyptic, 
I can't talk, post-apocalyptic <laughs> or dystopian or some sort of zombie thing or a plague thing. I'm reading a book, another, another book right now about like a plague that destroys almost half the world. And well, I'm not going to say that because that would be a spoiler for a movie that is still brand new. So I won't, I won't mention what I was going to say, but I bet you can figure out what I was just about ready to say. Yeah, no spoilers. <laughs> no spoilers. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. Keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but there are so many um, things in that uh, broad universe that people, it's just got people's imagination going. And, and so in a way, it's super duper cool. On the other hand, like when I try to play it, I'm like, okay, I need to shoot that guy who's shooting at me and I understand that. And I'm okay shooting with somebody who's shooting at me. You know, I'm not going to shoot at my neighbor, but, but nonetheless, I couldn't actually do it. But then um, uh, another friend who's a friend of both of ours suggested this other game, Siberia, that's more of a puzzle yeah. game, which is totally yeah. what I like. And I'm like, oh, I thought that wasn't like really a video game. She's like, I hate it when people say something isn't really a video game. Yeah, I, I mean, there's, um, I, I actually don't play a lot of the, the shooting games uh, purely because I suck at them. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I actually only like to play video games that I'm really good at. <laughs> yeah, um, as I think we all do, right? Yeah. Um, and so for me, it's a lot of, of those puzzle types of games. Um, like I, I grew up playing The Legend of Zelda, which is, is, is about adventure and it's about puzzles and exploration. Um, and I think uh, something you mentioned, which is really important for games, is, is, is building a world and being able to live in it for a bit, um, which is something only games can do, really, because... I think in a, only in games you you get to sort of poke every corner of that world, um, yeah. which you know means it has to be completely consistent. Whereas other forms of of narrative media, you, you're kind of showing a window, the window that you wanna you wanna show to your audience. Right, right, exactly. When you're watching a movie, you get the camera shot in front of you that the exactly. director chose. That's it. Yeah. Whereas in games, you have to think about well, what's going on off shot, like what is that extra in the background doing? Um, who are they? Because your player might go off and speak to them. So they need to have a whole backstory and, and you need to deliver on that. Right. Okay. So let's move into that. So you were in games design and then you kind of moved into narr narrative design. Um, explain to us a little bit about what does the one job involve and then how did you end up doing, presumably I'm guessing more narrative writing then? Yeah. I so I kind of explain my job as narrative designer as something between a game designer and a games writer. Um, so a game designer is uh, defining the gameplay and systems. It's saying, okay, uh, for this you level up, um, you're doing puzzles or you're doing shooting or whatever the game mechanic is. Um, and then you've got games writing, which is writing the dialogue, uh, defining the characters in the world. Um, for me, my job as a narrative designer is to make sure that the gameplay is um, married well to the to the game world and the writing, um, so it doesn't feel like it's two separate entities living in a game. Um, okay. So now, the gameplay I'm... is sort of uh, reinforcing the story. Okay. All right. So um, I'm going to try to 
re-say what you said to see if I understand it. So there's the mechanics of moving around, um, picking something or shooting something or going somewhere and having something react to you being there, which is separate from why are you here and what are you doing, which is the story. And you're yeah. trying to make them together. Exactly. So if, if you've got a game, um, let's use the shooting example because that we just spoke about it and it's fresh in my, in my brain. Um, the narrative designer would be saying, okay, we've, we've got this shooting mechanic. Well, why, why are you shooting people? Um, who are you and why are you doing that? What, what purpose does it have in the world? Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and, and that's what narrative designers do. Yeah. All right. So then tell us about your journey. How did you move into, uh, did you, did you move into more writing in a job that you had already been hired as a game designer or did you get hired to be a writer at a, at a second or third or whatever job? Um, so I was, uh, I was working in smaller teams before, um, like 30 person teams where at some points I was the only game designer or one of very, very few game designers. So you kind of wear a lot of hats then you do a lot of different things and yeah. I was doing a lot of the writing and, and story building and at, at one of the projects I worked on. And um, I was just there thinking, oh, I, re I really like this. I really like making characters and making the world. And um, and then I, I sort of just fell into doing that more because I was enjoying it. Um, and then that just kind of progressed and snowballed from there. So my next job, I, I made sure I was working just as a narrative designer and just doing the narrative aspects of the game because I, I just loved it so much. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, that sounds really cool. Now, um, you had been playing video games since apparently before preschool. <laughs> yeah. It was about I four. Mean, yeah. I was just thinking, you know, um, I remember being in a car with my friend and her handing over this um, itsy bitsy spider game to her one and a half year old mostly as a way so that she could get to our destination without her you know baby daughter crying about things and it was amazing to me how she could figure out eventually like you just it's just little fingers on a screen until they start noticing that when their fingers hit the screen a certain way something happens like the spider mm -hmm. climbs up the spout or whatever yeah. and then she would be figuring things out and I'm thinking my gosh when she's 20 years old she'll be brilliant in this particular kind of thinking. So, so let's say that we're talking to people who are, and there's probably, you know, no 60 year old people listening to the show going, that's what I want to do next. I want to be a narrative designer. So let's talk to people who are like you. They've been playing video games most of their lives, maybe all different kinds of things and have thought about, you know, I wonder how you would even get a job there. I know that there are several paths into just about any industry. Like I can name several paths into, you know, being a published writer. Um, give us some ideas about what people might, uh, where they might start and what they might do before they can do narrative design type work or, or I, cause it sounded like that's different from uh, story writers. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that too. Yeah, um, so I think, um, I mean, there's a lot of different university courses now. Um, 
and uh, game design as the path I did is is a great way in then to narrative design uh, but there's also if, if you wanted to do just pure game writing um, which would be you know creating the story the characters writing the dialogue um, then I think any type of, um, of writing degree um, is really valuable uh, screenwriting and script writing in particular because it's a lot of dialogue and because you've got the visual aspect as well um, to learn. Uh, but I mean, even before all of that, even before, say, university and degrees, um, there are a lot of tools out there to to make games now. Um, there weren't that many when I was a teenager uh, without needing sort of technical skills, which I completely don't have. <laughs> or didn't have then. I have a few more now, but... Um, uh, but now there's some really great stuff where you don't need to be technical and you can still create uh, games quite easily. Um, one of them is called Twine, uh, okay. where you, you it's purely writing and you just write uh, like uh, choose. Your, it's like a choose your own adventure um, okay. writing. So you, you it's non-linear and you have branching dialogues. So you write a piece and then you the player chooses which part of the story they want to go down. Um, so just making things just like any writing I guess just getting in there and making something is really the best way to build a portfolio yeah so twine is that like a free to use website yeah it's um yeah I think it's twine.org um and you it's a it's a software you can download um, and then you can you can post your your stories your small games online on on the web and have them played, um, and it's really easy uh, for people who uh, aren't necessarily programmers or super technical. Yeah. Okay, you make me want to just go do that. That sounds really fun. It's still very accessible, and it's um it's a great way to to sort of because in games there's a lot of non-linear storytelling, um, a lot of giving the player choice. Yeah. Um, so it's a great way to practice that, uh, making sure everything ties up and you have interesting branches and interesting choices. Yeah. Now, that reminds me of something that you said at the beginning. You were talking about, um, like, sometimes you've worked on games that are, um, and correct me if I'm uh, misquoting you, but um, had some sort of purpose in helping the player to care more about the world around them but within the context of it being a game am I understanding that right yeah okay so tell us a little bit about that how do you write things in a way that you're giving the player choices some of which may not be the choices that you want them to take but you have to give them that choice right yeah um so I've I there's a lot of really interesting games out there which um explore sort of I'd say more serious topics um uh, one great example that i can think of is called uh papo and yo um it's, it's quite an old game now it was um it's a puzzle game and you have a, it's you're a play a small boy and he has a pet monster and you're trying to take this monster around all the puzzles and um use the, you and the monster together solve the pu- puzzles uh, but it has this really interesting game mechanic where if the monster eats poisonous frogs, he goes into a violent rage and starts attacking you. So you have to avoid him. 
And it, it, if you read about the background of the developer and the story, this was actually this metaphor for um, his alcoholic father as he was growing up. Right. And this was his his metaphoric way in gameplay to to tell his story, to tell this really powerful emotional story through gameplay. Yeah. Um, and for me, that's uh, it's one a perfect example of narrative design. That's uh, you experiencing the story through the gameplay. Yeah. Um, but also something that is really important, and you wouldn't necessarily have a lot of access to that in games. And so, for instance, in this game, you as the player have some choice in being able to keep your friendly, nice monster from eating the poisonous frogs. You can help him to not eat them so that he can continue to be... Yeah, yeah. You can, you can kind of choose to help them avoid. But um, I think there's also a lot of uh, underlying emotional choices there, like you choose to forgive the monster afterwards. and oh, right. Um, you choose to not be angry at, at them and uh i mean that would that example is probably more linear but there are other games like that where you have those sort of big emotional choices which show you something that you you may not have gone through in your own life but sort of give you an insight into someone else's life yeah Excellent segue. So, so say that um, you're trying to build like just a really cool story that um, that players are going to love to play, but also love to experience the story and and make these choices. Um, what what kinds of I don't know tips for others, but also like where do you kind of dig in and try to figure out how can I write about this concept that I don't you know, haven't experienced myself in a way that's really engaging, that makes people want to keep playing. I mean, you as a video game player know what bores you and makes you quit or what's too hard and makes you quit or what's so engaging that you just have to keep playing for hours and hours and hours. So how do you, as a player who's now writing the story, find ways to, uh, to develop these more engaging storylines? Yeah, I, I mean, my... Uh, my big advice is to to fall back on the gameplay as much as possible. Um, I think if you can use a game mechanic, um, an experience uh, to tell your story, then then that's the best way to do it. I mean, we we have the the age old saying of show don't tell, right? But like in games, you can experience don't show. You know, yeah. you, you can go one step further with that. Um, for me, the, the best games that get their stories and message across are ones that, that don't have big cinematics or, or a lot of text to read, but are ones which tell the story through the environment and uh, through the gameplay and the music and right. ev everything else but the text. Yeah. That's interesting. So even though you started in indie games, smaller teams, um, as the game becomes a bigger game, but even in the smaller team, you still had to find some way for all of you. So you have to be a writer who likes working in a team, right? Because you have all these other departments, whether they're one person departments or 40 person departments that you have to somehow integrate what their idea is for this type of gameplay and your idea for the story and their idea for what the world's going to look like and how it interacts. Am I getting this right? Yeah, completely. Um, I I sometimes feel like 
that's a lot of my job is just making sure all the departments are talking to the narrative people (laughs) to make sure that the narrative is in every aspect because yeah I mean you always work it's a big collaboration making games Um, you've got the animation uh, audio um, programming gameplay level design so so many different departments and if you want the story to be um, sort of championed in each one, then you have to talk with those people and explain to them, look, this is this is what I'm making and this is how you can help me do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's super collaborative, which I love. I love right. That. Okay, so that's another great segue. I know a lot of my listeners uh, write short stories, novels, um, I'm sure some nonfiction, some screenplays, but I would say that the vast majority of of listeners probably work in a room by themselves somewhere. This does not sound like that kind of a job. No, don't get me wrong. There are occasions when I want to write and I'm just like, I'm just going to go in this meeting room and (laughs) sit down with my own thoughts for a little while. Um, But no, it's, it's, the office environment it's a lot of, of talking with people um so I, I actually because i i also write things on the side as well as, as sort of a, a hobby as well um i actually find that a lot more difficult uh, i'm constantly sort of turning around to someone and saying oh what do you think of this idea okay no one here um, right. <laughs> just me and my own brain um yeah. so it's it's very different um but the good thing about that is working with people you always have someone to to be that mirror against yeah. the ideas to to be a soundboard for, for bouncing ideas off and, and that is that's really great I love yeah. that yeah what I found in the last few months um again you know first time I've ever worked for a video game company I worked in film and television but um, you know, so other forms of entertainment, just not this one. And in a different way, so film is different from TV, my experiences working in it, and video games are different from that. What what I've personally found in my one and only experience is that I feel like I'm surrounded by like all of the kinds of people that I would want to be surrounded by if I knew that they were there somewhere that I could go to a place and be surrounded by them. I mean, I just feel like I walked in and went, Oh my gosh, <laughs> these are my people. Like everybody's got little toys on their desks and figurines and they're talking about all of my favorite subjects in the world. And and yet we're having these um, also short but really interesting conversations about things like um, sexual violence and Game of Thrones. Even mm-hmm. at the same time that people are like, oh my gosh, the political intrigue in Game of Thrones is amazing. So we have these serious conversations, even as we're also having these, you know, laughing conversations about just really odd things that I, I can't even think of an example right now, but like just taking apart something from, you know, Ferris Bueller and going, do you notice that that's in this and this and this also (laughs) or something? Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not afraid to say I'm a geek (laughs) (laughs) and I have been and, and always will be. Um, and yeah, I think a, a lot of people in, who work in video games, because it's a really young industry, um, relatively to, to film and, and other industries. And it started really just with a, a lot of 
game hobbyists who were so passionate about it that they wanted to make games themselves. And we've sort of ridden that wave for a really long time. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of people who work in games are are fans of video games and they love them and they're super passionate about that. Um, that can be a, a good and bad thing. Um, it has a tendency to produce a lot of workaholics <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because, you know, you love your job so much. Um, there's also, unfortunately, room then in the industry for people to take advantage of that uh, with, with right. pay and too many working hours because, you know, it's your passion. You're, you're lucky to be doing it anyway. Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like it's a double-edged sword a little. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I know what you mean. There's a lot of... Uh, it's quite chilled and relaxed uh, game industry, I think. Yeah. And yet with that uh, exciting energy of feeling like you could literally turn to either of the people on, on either side of you and say, oh, what about this idea? Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. There's a buzz and excitement, I think, about making games. Um, and we're, we're still finding our way, I think. Um, we're still trying to work out really what this industry is and how how to make games the best way both technically and to deliver a good product but also um you know from a a work ethic and um healthy well-being right right yeah because whether an employee uh, employer does or doesn't want to take advantage of you the fact is you can just overwork yourself just by getting too involved in what you love to do, which is what I also did even by the virtue of being my only employee and the boss of me, I still managed to overwork myself. Yourself is your worst boss sometimes. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Yeah, same. I mean, it's very, very difficult when you, when you truly love what you do um, to say, okay, no, it's, it's five o'clock. I need to go home and switch this off for the day and um, think about something else. Um, I've definitely been there as well, but, uh, ultimately you kind of have to, because it's all about sustainability, right? You you can't do it forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that that's gotta be true of just about any job in the entire world. (laughs) Pretty much. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So let's go back one more step. There was something that you said that made me think, um, what are some of the ways that you can think of that um, I, I have a, a two-pronged question? So I'm most interested in the writing, but I, I know, for instance, um, and like I said, my only experience in video game companies, I've talked to different people. Some of them have been um, college interns. Some of them have been doing um, some other, you know what, maybe maybe all of them were college interns, but I thought some of them were some other kind of intern. They weren't in college and they just sort of found, found a step in and they learned a lot and just worked their way up. So I don't know if that is a possibility when it comes to writing, but what are some of the ways that you would um, encourage people to create the kind of skill set where they could, you know, work their way towards a narrative design position? Um. I think if you want to if you want to do game writing, um, then I think actually a lot of the other writing advice and writing skills is really applicable. Um, like just get writing, um, learn how to do it. Do write things, throw it away. Write things, throw it away. Um, you'll get precious about ideas uh, writing because in the games industry as well, you throw away a lot of things. 
a lot of iteration, like with um, with writing books and and other forms of media. Um, but uh, I think one of the key things if you're moving into uh, video games is to and and thinking about writing for video games is to think non-linearly. Um, there are a lot of things in traditional writing which I don't think works that well in video games, like um, the three-act structure is right. really hard to apply um, to a video game when you actually don't know what your character is going to be doing or your player is going to be doing for the whole of Act 2. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can have this great intro and this great ending but if it's a big sort of open what we call an open world game where you can go all over the world and do anything you want um you can't control that pacing you can't control those emotional beats in the same way um and you shouldn't as well that's that's kind of the point that, that you, you're giving agency to your audience yeah um so that's really hard to do um but it doesn't mean that the three act structure isn't uh, really important and applicable on like a smaller scale. You can do side content and side missions that would have, you know, that three act. Beginning, middle, and. Yes. Okay. It's not the whole thing. So yeah. th those kind of traditional uh, writing skills, especially from script writing and screenwriting, is really applicable. Um, it just sort of has to be molded and bent in a different way for games yeah so it sounds like if somebody were um were wanting to go down this path because i imagine somebody listening is like this is great <laughs> um i'm guessing based on what you've been talking about that um learning more reading more about um good script writing and practicing 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 just writing all sorts of um, screenwriting type work um, and creating stories where there's multiple options uh, mm -hmm. for what the the main character could do, yeah. but also probably playing games that have good, strong storylines and then stopping and trying to think about what just happened. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, play everything you can get your hands on or if you can't, because I mean, that can be kind of an expensive hobby as well. Yeah. Um, there are so many uh, uh, playthroughs on YouTube that you can watch or other other forms of video serv services right. like and watch people play them through. Um, if you really Twitch enjoy Twitch is the place, right? Oh, Twitch. Twitch. Twitch, yeah. Twitch is a great one to do it as well. Um, okay. uh, but if you like playing video games, then you know, that comes with a disclaimer of you, you can't play video games for fun anymore. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I still love them, but I can't play them without analyzing them and going, oh, I should have, I wish I'd done it this way instead. Or, oh, yeah. wow, that's brilliant. I'm writing that down, you know. Yeah. yeah, I remember probably the first six years after I went through a screenwriting program, I, um, it was I, it was really really difficult to stop looking at it uh, when I wanted to just relax and enjoy a movie, like to just yeah. turn it off. And finally, at one point, I think it was right before I watched The Sixth Sense, because I specifically remember where I was and and that sort of thing. Um, and I and I just told myself, you need to turn it off for the next two hours because. I desperately wanted to enjoy this movie and I was pretty sure it was going to be awesome. It mm. was, if you saw it on opening weekend and nobody could give you a spoiler, it was. 
but I had to tell myself now is the time I'm going to relax and play for fun, you know, watch for fun. Yeah. Um, and you should, you need to tell me how you did that. Cause I haven't <laughs> worked out a way to do that. With yeah. To switch it off at all. Um, yeah, my, my brain is always running, always analyzing if I'm playing yeah. video games. Um, well, and I think part of it is, and this is really um, an important thing that I try to um, mention every now and again, now and again on the podcast, because it's not something that I hear talked about. Well, maybe the last two years, a little bit, I've heard it talked about. Otherwise, not at all in the last 20 years that I've been writing, um, where people are talking about the difference between I love my work and actual playing. So there's like a whole different part of your brain that's engaging when you are playing, like a five-year-old who goes out and has no specific you know, thing in mind that's like, let's play tag. And you haven't decided I'm going to run to that tree and hide under there and then go over there and then tag that person. Like it's not a, you're just in the moment without thinking. And apparently <laughs> what I'm learning, and it's a, it's a problem with how people end up in burnout as well, is we get into these times of, I love all these things that I do, but I'm looking at them and, and engaging with them in a way that's engaging this work part of my brain and not this other play area of my brain. And it helps your um, engaging in play helps your brain to sort of relax, like stretching after exercise kind of. Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, There's some really interesting books uh, about play and the cognitive response and and why it's so important. Well, it's, I mean, we've been doing, like storytelling, you know, around the fire of, of, you know, around the campfire with cavemen telling stories and everything, or women. Um, Yeah. (laughs) You, play has been part of our culture and society as for so long as well I mean there's always this idea that the video games games in general is is for kids or it's kind of juvenile in some way but yeah play on every level is something we've been doing and you know forever Um, yeah and it is really important um yeah yeah. and I think I think that we recognize um in hindsight when, oh, that was a moment of play, because you may feel physically tired afterward, but you feel mentally, like, truly refreshed. Yeah, and I, I think there's, um, there's a lot of uh, research gone into sort of puzzle games as well, like like Tetris, and kind of the what happens cognitively when you're playing Tetris and how your brain switches off because it's, you know, organizing and I've heard um, that there's some some great research in how Tetris helps uh, people with PTSD um, oh. because it's it is that you know switching off you you're you're in the moment you're focusing and you're putting things in order and you're you know you progress and you're slowly getting better. Um, I I can't remember offhand where the research is, but yeah. uh, it's, it's really interesting. Like games can serve a lot of purposes that I yeah. we still have a lot to explore with them. Right, right. I Well, I'm a total neuroscience geek. So anytime anybody's talking about brains, I'm like, what? I want to know what this <laughs> conversation's about. I read the most interesting article. Actually, I heard about this game first. And so I went and looked it up, tried to figure out like, how can I download it to my phone? I couldn't find it. 
It was supposed to be available on iPhone and Android. Well, the article was old. And when I found the most recent information, what it was was um, a health organization in the UK studying Alzheimer's. And they thought that if they could figure out a way to something, something. And so they worked with a video game developer and just created this um, phone app video game. Mm. And they were like, if we could just get 100,000 people to play for two minutes, we would have all the information we need. But they got something like 3 million minutes of play or 4 million minutes. And they said like it was so much information because of the way that the game was designed to see um, how you react in certain situations and based on your age and all sorts of other things that you had, you know, plugged in, I guess, um, that they, they said it was something like 75 years worth of research that they got in four months of this video game. Yeah. Amazing. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is so cool. I didn't know games could do stuff like that, but the game looked so fun. I wanted to play it. (laughs) Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I love stuff. That's the thing that gets me so excited about the games industry, just its potential to do so much. Oh my gosh. All right. This is totally cool. I don't want to take up all of your time because you probably need to relax. You can go and think about fun things at work again tomorrow. (laughs) But um, so let's just give a a brief recap. What are your tips on if somebody's listening who's like, this sounds kind of cool. What are some of the things I should do or how should I try to find a job? Um, What should I do before I start looking for a job? What do you think? Um, I think the big thing would be to sit down and make some non-linear stories. Um, there's Twine, which I mentioned. Um, there's a software called Ink as well, uh, which is, is geared towards people who want to write non-linear uh, stories for games. Um, there is also uh, things called Game Jams, uh, which is... Um, they usually they're organized all over the world you go somewhere for a weekend you're given a theme you you team up with people and you try and make a game in a weekend or 48 hours or however long it is wow um and that is a is a great way to build up your portfolio and uh also to meet people and also to fail um like a lot of a lot of game designers just sort of knowing what not to do as much as knowing what to do yeah um and that the same applies for narrative design so like just make things sit down and make things wow that sounds good and play play really good quality games or play all games or um play a bit of everything um you'd be surprised at at what types of games have amazing stories in them um like i i I love the story mode on FIFA, the recent FIFAs, because it's great. And um, that's not a football game isn't necessarily where you'd expect that, but it works yeah. really well. Um, so play all types of games um, to analyze, to, like stop uh, to think about it, maybe play with the sound off as well to say, okay, does this change how I feel about the the world and the story if the sound isn't here and and that kind of thing like if I took away one aspect of this game how would it change how I feel about the narrative excellent okay and then you also said um uh study and practice screenwriting and if you are in that place in your life where you can do it you could actually go in and take a college degree in something having to do with games Yes, 
yeah, I um, I think there's a lot now compared to when I yeah. <laughs> when I was a student uh, <laughs> uh, 10, 12 years ago. Um, <laughs> hey, you got awarded to be in the top 30 under 30. That's an achievement. <laughs> <laughs> Except now I'm like, oh, those are the days when I was under 30. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there are loads of, of, I think there's game writing, like specifically focused on game writing courses. There's uh, uh, game design courses. There's a lot out there to look at. Excellent. Well, this is brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing all this. Great. Now, I usually finish up with where can listeners, you know, find out more about you and your books. So let's just change that question a little bit to, uh, do you have a social media account that you don't mind people following you on? Yes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, um, at Alice M. Rendell. Excellent. Um, and uh, I do have a website as well, which oh. is uh, alicerendell.com. Um, it's, it's whip at the moment, but it will be back up very shortly. Awesome. Very cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been really interesting. <laughs> it's been really great. I've super enjoyed it.